verses 19 through 25. Luke chapter 6, verses 19 through 25. The Lord is speaking here, and he says this. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. <clears throat> Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted. And thou art tormented. We'll speak for a few minutes this morning on this topic, Endgame. Endgame. Let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of his service, that all of his heart would be accomplished in our midst today. Jesus, we call out to you once more, the Lord our God, who is able to do all things, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. Hallelujah, Jesus. We ask, Lord, this morning that all of your heart, all of your desire would be manifest in this service today. Hallelujah, Jesus. The needs present, the opportunities that are about to come, the situations that are about to come. I pray, God, that you would minister, that you would bless, that you would provide, that you would restore, that you would prepare. Hallelujah, Jesus that your great name would be glorified here this morning in these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I mentioned in an earlier lesson that I, I enjoy chess. I, I'm not real good at it. I know how the pieces move. I know what everything does. Uh, I know that at the end you're supposed to capture the other person's king. And not yours. <clears throat> so, but other than that, all of the, the fancy gambits and the feints and all of that stuff, I don't understand any of that. Uh, but chess is a very fascinating game. Uh, they are considered by experts, of which I do not consider myself one, uh, but experts consider that there are three stages to a chess game. There's the opening. And this is where people will rapidly deploy their primary pieces. <clears throat> They'll get them uh, up front. The goal is to control the middle four squares. That's the goal in the opening part of the game, is to control the board. The middle game, uh, you coordinate your primary pieces and attack opponent's weak spots and open files. The goal is to capture the opponent's primary pieces and maybe achieve a checkmate within somewhere in the middle game. And then you have the end game, where you use your remaining primary pieces to take advantage of the weaknesses you've created in your opponent's defense during the middle game. The goal at this stage is to convert pawns into queens, 
And if you haven't already, achieve a checkmate. The ultimate goal in the game, of course, is to capture your opponent's king. Now we see different plans like this play out in our lives. Uh, we have, uh, most of us have a retirement plan of some kind. And hopefully, if you follow the retirement plan perfectly, <clears throat> you'll start young. You'll start at least by the time you're 18, hopefully before that, you'll start putting money away for retirement. There's two stages of this. The first stage is wealth accumulation. That's where you're, you get a job, you start a business, you, you have an income of some kind, and you're setting aside a portion of that for future retirement. You amass as much real wealth as you can, and you spend as little as possible. You keep as much as possible. Again, if we're following the plan perfectly. The second stage is wealth disbursement. This is where you've accumulated enough savings and interest to retire. You start living on that money. You're making sure you have enough to support the lifestyle you desire during retirement. And at that point, you say adios to the job, adios to the business, whatever it is, and you start living the good life. Amen. Not a lot of amens. Okay. <laughs> well, you're not going to get one here either. <laughs> anyway, that's the plan, right? <laughs> that's the plan. The ultimate goal, the end game, is to have enough money to retire. I, uh, since we moved, I haven't really had to do this. But uh, it used to be, way off in the distant past, that I would have to remind my kids from time to time, what the goal was for the chores. <clears throat> it wasn't to get the floors wet. It wasn't to get the sink wet. It was to get it clean. We wanted it clean, not just wet or, or just supplies moved around. We wanted something to happen. i got to commend you kids. I, you guys have been doing great. I haven't had to say anything like that, which means I'm getting rusty. So that's the end game. The end game is getting the house clean. Employees in a company all have or should have a copy of the company's mission statement. What is the reason the company exists? Well, I think at the end of the day, most companies exist to, to turn a profit. But they have all of these other, you know, to serve the community and to, and that, that's probably a part of it. But you can't serve the community unless you're turning the profit. You're able to hire the employees and keep paying them. Uh, employees are to fit into that mission, that purpose. When I, when I hire onto a company, I need to find out what the mission of the company is and help the company move toward that. I mean, that's, that's why I'm getting a paycheck. I'm not getting a paycheck because they love my family and they really want to help me out. Okay. They're probably good people, but that's not why they brought me on. They're going to pay me, but they want something in return, right? They want 40 hours of good work and work that helps them move toward their mission. 
not work that will help me move toward my mission. Okay, which is unfortunate. I've not found a company that'll let me do that. Uh, on the other side of the fence, if I were a company, uh, that wouldn't be that company either. <laughs> that company would be there for a reason and not that one. <clears throat> there are, and we've talked about this, I will, I will just speak very briefly. There are these philosophical platforms that are meant to give meaning to a meaningless existence. And philosophers call them constructs. We'll just use constructs. Most people understand, most philosophers understand that if they stretch their worldview out to the logical conclusion, it leads to lunacy. It leads to idiocy. It leads to uh, the, the fact that knowledge is impossible, that there is no meaning to life. Most worldviews end up that way. And if you're a philosopher and you start thinking about things and you start, okay, well, if this is true, then this has to be true. And then if that's true, then this has to be, oh, wait a minute. Life is meaningless. And most people, though, they don't think about that. They have a worldview. They, they have these, these uh, presuppositions about life and reality. And, but they don't really think too much about it. Everybody has them. Most people don't really think about them. They're more focused on getting the laundry in and, and getting the food on the table and getting to work on time and stuff like that. But if we stretch our worldviews to the logical conclusion... Most people discover that. And so, uh, these worldviews cannot provide meaning in and of themselves, like ours can. Our meaning is inherent and it's built in. Because a loving God created us and He created us with a purpose. And He infuses us, because of that, with meaning. We have self-worth, because that God suffered on a cross and died for us. And he says that he's worth everything to him. We're worth everything to him. There we go. <clears throat> so our worldview has all of that built in. None of the others do. And so what they have to do is they have to create these constructs to provide meaning to life that has no meaning inherently. And these constructs take the form of many things, uh, you can dedicate yourself to being a, uh, the best athlete you can be. And that's what gives me meaning. I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I, you know, my life is focused on it. It's dedicated there. I, I do everything I can to be the best athlete. Others, it's schooling. I'm going to get straight A's because I'm going to be a doctor. And I'm going to be the best doctor that, that has ever existed. And the more, the closer I can get to that, the more my life is going to have meaning. Because that's what I've decided to, to, to base my life on. These constructs, they can work for a time. <clears throat> they can. The problem is, not everybody can be the best football player. Not everybody can be the best doctor. Not everybody can be the best whatever. I think we can all be the best something. But that thing that I dedicate my life to is not always something that is attainable, or if it is attainable, it doesn't always last. 
I told you the story about my store manager or plant manager at Highland Manufacturing. Lost his family, lost his kids, his, his wife lost everything meaningful because he dedicated everything to this company. And then he got let go. <clears throat> Just like that. Sorry, Ron, we don't need your services anymore. We appreciate all you did. And that's how most constructs end up. That thing that we dedicate our lives to, that end game that we've set up for ourselves, ends up to be a house of cards. It ends up being something that falls apart in the end, or it's taken away because of a football injury. I can't play football anymore. Now what do I do? I get into an accident, and... I can't use my fingers the way I used to, so I can't do surgery anymore. Now what do I do? My whole life was dedicated to that. That's what I focused on. That was my end game. And now, it's gone. It's no wonder people commit suicide after things like this. Because now they're looking at life, the one thing that gave a meaning is gone. Most would acknowledge the need for us to give ourselves over to a cause, an idea, a worthy goal that's bigger than us. Most of us actually desire that. To be a part of something bigger than us. To be a part of something that's that's doing great things and moving forward in directions that, that benefit mankind. We all want to be a part of something like that. <clears throat> but which one? There are so many to choose. I just got a, we got a flyer in the, in the mail today concerning Haiti. That's a worthy goal. There are kids st literally starving to death in Haiti. Not, not missing a meal. But they're starving to the point of death. Uh, unemployment is huge. I mean, there's, there's regime changes. It's, it's not a good place to be right now. That's a worthy goal. Ending hunger in the U.S., that's a worthy goal. Poverty, that's a worthy goal. Uh, there are all kinds of worthy goals. But which one? We only have one life. We only have time enough to dedicate ourselves really to one cause. If we're going to be good at it, if we're going to be effective in it, we only have time for one. So which is the right one? And my poor son, he's, he's kind of discovering that, trying to figure out a career for himself. There's so many options, so many things that, that I could do, so many things I, I, I'd like to do. Which one? I can only choose one. It's only 24 hours in the day. So, in understanding that when we choose the one and start moving toward that, if it's not the right one, we're not going to find out until it's too late. 
It seems like in life we only find out what building we're leaned up against when we get to the top of the ladder. Only then do we know if we've chosen the right one or not. And for most of us, most people, they discover that I'm up against the wrong building. And by that time, having to go all the way down the ladder and start up another one, there's not a lot of time to do that anymore. If we would ask parents, which one of these two people, the rich man or Lazarus, would you like your kids to grow up as? What would the answer be for most people? The rich man. The rich man. Most parents today, and unfortunately, a lot of Christian parents today, want, and I've seen this more and more. Maybe, Brother Parker, you have too. Uh, people who are in ministry will not encourage their children to go into ministry. They'll, more and more, I'm hearing, they'd rather just encourage their kids to go get a good job. Get a career that pays well, you can support a family comfortably, and live for God. I think that's sad for several reasons. Because doing the work of God is the most important work anyone can do. It pays the best dividends and its retirement plan is out of this world. What is the end game for those parents? Bringing their kids up. What is the end game? Now, I get why they say it. I do. My wife and I, probably a lot of you, have struggled through a lot of our married life. It wasn't because of lack of ability or, or talent or anything like that. It's because the choices that we made were choices that would always draw us closer into ministry, closer to uh, doing something for God, and not, uh, not necessarily trying to advance a career. <clears throat> and so, for better or for worse, that's what our choices were, and, and you know, we paid the consequences for it, both good and bad, like any decision will. But it's easy enough to start looking around and saying, man, if only I had, if only I would have, if I'd have made this choice instead. And I'll admit, I've done that. <clears throat> I've done it. I shouldn't have pursued ministry so much. I should have done this instead and then pursued ministry or whatever variation you want. My point is this. There is an end game to life. 
And that end game is salvation. That end game is eternity with Jesus Christ. The end game that God has in mind needs to be our end game. When we set about planning out our lives, and if you're a young person here today, I envy you greatly because you have so much potential in front of you. You have your whole lives in front of you. When you get to be my age, I can start over yet, but it's not the same. (laughs) It's not the same. You guys literally have your whole lives in front of you. You've not made the choices for good or bad that I've had to make. You've not had to suffer the consequences for bad choices yet. You don't ever have to. You don't have to. And so, making the right choices early, like retirement. We talked about retirement. You start making the right choices now. Start setting aside money now. If I start setting aside money now, I got to set aside what, like five thousand a month to retire if I don't have a retirement. Whereas you guys could set aside fifty, and you'd probably still have more than I had because of compound interest. Anyway, this isn't an economic lesson. Um, my point is, you make right choices early, and you don't have to deal with consequences of poor choices later on. Because later on, it's tough. It's really hard to course correct. Whereas where you're at right now, it's easy. If you make a bad choice now, I mean, can I say this as well? You're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make bad choices. Okay? You don't have the life experience yet to make good choices all the time. Okay, so it's expected that you're going to make mistakes. Okay, but we learn from those mistakes and we move forward with them. Choosing a career, you may not get it right the first time. That's okay. You still got time. Fix it and find the right one. But find the right one. And then when you find it, man, get after it. When we're living for God, When we decide to serve Jesus Christ, we've talked before, you know, counting the cost. There's a cost to every every decision. There's a price that needs to be paid for every decision because when I choose this, I can no longer choose these three over here. Okay? Uh, They call it an opportunity cost. Cost of opportunity. So, if I choose this, then I, I lose options over here. So, once I make the choice, one, let's hope it's the right one, And two, if it is, if I've determined it is, let's get after it. Let's move forward with it with all my strength, all my might. Because it's the right one for me. Folks, living for God is the right one for everybody. It's the right one for everybody. So once we make that choice, once we've counted the cost, let's get after it with everything in us. Let's pursue it. Let's make this our life's focus. Because at the end of this ladder we will discover that we are against the right building. 
this is the right building. The end game for us as human beings is salvation, both for us and for others. The opening, we receive New Testament salvation and start living for God. Discipleship, mentoring, growing in God. The middle game, somewhere along the line we enter into ministry. God created all of us for ministry. We become fruitful for God. We begin to mentor and disciple others who are now new converts in their opening game. End game. God converts His pawns, you and I, to queens. His bride. And He achieves checkmate through us. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. He has called us to salvation, first and foremost. After that, He has called us to a ministry. Individually. As He has called you, so let Him walk. When you discover your ministry, please discover your ministry. That's the reason you're here. That's the reason God created you. Discover your ministry. And when you do, pursue it with everything in you. That is your purpose. That is your reason for existing. You will break down. Your life will break down if you try to do anything else. Pursue that. You got to get a job. You got to make money. I get all that. Okay? But our focus, our focus, our life's work is this. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is our life's work. It's our focus. 1 Corinthians three eleven through 15 says this. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, let every man's, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. To paraphrase, everything that we do matters. Everything we don't do matters. Some things we do are going to have eternal consequences. Some will not. Okay, my job, the, uh, the money that I make, the money I put in the bank, whether it's a lot or, or little, isn't going to matter in eternity. It just won't. Now, I'm not saying don't put a lot away. And I'm not saying it's bad if you have a little bit. God provides our needs. However, when I focus on the kingdom of God, when I focus on His work, well, as an aside, it doesn't really matter what I have in the bank because God's going to take care of all my needs for me. I'm focusing on his needs. He's going to focus on my needs now. That's a promise that I have. Amen. So, I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing has eternal consequences. As much as possible. The things that I do with my life, I want them to matter in eternity. I want to receive a reward for that. When the fire comes... 
I want my works to stand. If they burn, well, they burn. Well, I suffer loss. But as much as possible, I want them to carry on in eternity. Amen. The constructs that people create for themselves, the, uh, the lofty ideals and the, uh, the missions and the purposes that are greater than themselves that people seek to find. God built that from the ground up right here. The church of God. Working for God, working in the kingdom of God is a greater purpose than we can find in this world. Because everything in this world is going to burn. The good that we do here Let's do good. Let's feed the poor. Let's take care of the homeless. All of those things are good things. But we need to be focused on this. Working in the kingdom of God. Seeing people saved. Seeing people develop into ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that they in turn can minister to and disciple others. That's the work of God. I promise you folks. If we focus on salvation, get, seeing people saved, seeing people healed, seeing people delivered, we're going to see a whole lot less homeless. Because God will begin to bless their lives. We're going to see a whole lot less people hungry. Because pe- God will provide for His children. Amen. I'm not being callous. Okay, I'm not. It's a real need. But God can provide that need. God wants to provide that need. And any other need that we can think of, God is the answer. God has always been the answer. Our mission is not to feed the hungry per se. Our mission as a church is not to find shelter for the homeless per se. Our mission is to bring them together with Jesus Christ. So that He can save them, and He can deliver them, and heal them, and provide for them Himself. That's the mission of the church. When we focus on that, we're going to see the homeless find homes. We're going to find the hungry fed. We're going to find the sick healed. That's what Jesus does. That's what He does. Ecclesiastes 12, 13-14 says this, and I close. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's all stand.